What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley, hello. And today we are talking about Harriet. We referenced Cynthia Erivo's performance in, I forget what episode. We're talking about Judy and standout lead actresses. Yeah. And uh, the ability for lead actresses to sing, particularly in the movie that they're starring in. Right. And I think that you had referenced the song as being sucky. Kind of a sucky song. Do you feel differently now that you've seen the movie? No. A bad song is a bad song. It actually ties to the theme of what my review will be. Before we start the review on Harriet, can we establish the ground rules or the agenda? What's our mission statement? What's our mission as you see it for this podcast? Well, my mission in starting the podcast was to hear what you think about movies that I've seen. Yes. <laughs> so, but in doing so, this is we, we're not spoiler free. Definitely the people who are listening to us should see the movies before they listen to our episodes. Yep. Right? We sort of pigeonhole ourselves and they have to be, have seen these sometimes relatively obscure or unseen movies uh, before they listen to any of our episodes. So it doesn't exactly drive our numbers through the roof. No. But what is our responsibility as podcasters to be sensitive to the voices of the people that surround a film? Harriet is not without its controversy. Harriet, I'm finding, has come under a lot of fire. And it's a delicate, sensitive topic for a movie that I have strong opinions about. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me just add a disclaimer that this review is exclusively about the successes and failures of Harriet as a movie in terms of entertainment. You can't go on and on about The Passion of the Christ and, and talk about the, the merits of filmmaking with that movie because it's targeting people who have more focused agendas. Like you can't diss on um, Christ's performance in Passion of the Christ? Kinda. Yeah, I think you're trying to say that you can do film criticism on Harriet, the movie, but you're not speaking directly to Harriet Tubman as a historical figure or her importance there? I'm not a historian, so I don't have a firm grasp on what's true or not true in this movie. My criticisms are based solely on my experience as a moviegoer and how effectively this movie uh, conveyed its message and affected me emotionally. So I can't speak to the accuracy of some of the things depicted on screen. You said that this movie has come under fire. Is this since the Academy Awards, before? What's the deal? I think before, in, in initially in the casting, it, it's unbelievable to me and I think it says something about the Hollywood system that this is the first time a feature-length movie has been made by about Harriet Tubman. How is that possible? There was like a woman called Moses and some other stuff. Were those TV movies? I don't know, maybe, but feature films, this is what I keep hearing. And Harriet in itself had a long journey. Back in the 90s when this uh, project was being developed, Gregory Allen Howard had been around for a while with this script and was pitching it. And one of the executives said, I really, really love the script. Let's make this movie happen. Let's get, for the role of Harriet Tubman, Julia Roberts. And people were like, what? And they did that eyebrow thing that you just did. And they were like, Julia Roberts could not possibly play Harriet Tubman. You know that, right? And he said, it was so long ago that nobody would know. It's fine. What? Right. Yeah. And so that was one of, the, one of the challenges in bringing Harriet to the screen. So wow. it's been a long time coming and here this movie is and here we're talking about it. My disclaimer is whatever I say about it has nothing to do with Harriet Tubman the person or the themes of slavery and abolition, uh, any of that. This is solely on how well this movie was made. I think you're setting our listeners up for a bad review. Oh, God. 
people who are waiting and dying and co- the culture that wants and needs a Harriet movie deserves so much better. Wow. So much better. What did you think of the movie? Boring. Yeah, boring. So I will go on record saying that Cynthia Erivo is the best part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only her ability to act, I think she has a very expressive face. I think she does a great job as Harriet Tubman um, just based on her looks alone and how much we can see the stakes and what's what Harriet Tubman is trying to achieve in Cynthia Erivo's acting and in her face. She's also a good singer, as we saw in the, on the Academy Awards. She's a good singer in the movie because she gets like five singing scenes. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to waste that talent. And man, is she really good at all the monologuing she does continuously while holding guns wrong in this movie <laughs> uh, in a way that frustrates me. But she got ample opportunity to act. So much so that I think that her free reign to be as outraged and righteous Harriet Tubman maybe hurt her a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell if she's a great actress because she was so blatant about Harriet Tubman's expressionism and you know decrying slavery and she was going to tell every single person what she thought of them and what she wanted to do and what a crime and what a, 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 a abomination against God that slavery was. But not necessarily throughout. She has an arc as a character. She starts out as a relatively kind of um, humbled slave. I don't think that's the right word but like you know a slave who is under the thumb of her masters and then she evolves into the Harriet Tubman I think of lore. I'm basically saying like she's not at that kind of like Harriet Tubman righteous thing throughout. She grows into her role in being able once she's free in mind as much as in as in body then she can say the things that are on her mind. Right. Whereas opposed to in front of her masters or people who are who you know have power over her she wouldn't say because she'd be beaten to death. Right. I'm not sure when it happened but this film landed in the lap of director Casey Lemons and she's been around for a while. Most notably in the 90s, she did two movies with Sam Jackson, The Caveman's Valentine and Eve's Bayou. I saw both of them. Don't remember a lot about them, but what I do remember is her specific style of directing. It seems like a dated sort of flashbacky, uh, black and white, heavily filtered flashback, sort of surreal idea. That sounds uh, familiar. Yeah, it, particularly in The Caveman's Valentine, which was about a homeless guy who has all these visions and his it, it becomes surreal and dreamlike in the sense that this guy who to all outward appearances is just a homeless dude is actually very important. Mm-hmm. I do remember a distinct style in her storytelling that doesn't seem to have changed whatsoever. I, I'm sorry to say I don't know a lot about what she's done in the past in the 20 years since those movies, mm-hmm. but uh, Evolutionarily, she hasn't really changed as a filmmaker. Maybe she hadn't had a lot of opportunity to in those last 20 years if we haven't heard from her. Maybe. But there, I didn't see those movies, but in your description of them, it's, they sound like there are, they share similarities with Harriet, the flashbacks. Her visions and the flashbacks were a big part of the structure or the storyline. Did you feel like they were clear when they happened? No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were, they were less than pieces of images and very disjointed. I mean, they obviously meant something to Harriet and she could make sense of them because she took action after having had them, but it was very unclear to me what they, 
what they were intended to mean. And generally we're okay with that, right? We get glimpses right off the bat. There's like a plow horse harness, right? And then the horse running away and you, you get fleeting images and they prompt the actress, uh, they prompt the character into action. And then later we come to understand through a fuller picture uh, or an ev you know, as we progress, we see more and more pieces of those flashbacks until we ultimately understand. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like we ever got to that level of understanding. No, in fact, as the story progressed, it seemed like the flashbacks were even were even more obscure. And so I'm worried that there was a capable actress in this role with a kind of a bad movie around her, and it's difficult to say that because of how important the Harriet Tubman story is and particularly how concerned people were to start with, that this be an accurate portrayal told by the correct people, people of uh, African-American uh, heritage, descendants of actual slaves, in order to embody this character, and that Cynthia Erivo, who is British, and thus not descendants of American slaves brought from Africa, would not be able to inhabit this role, where in actuality she's the best thing about this movie. I mean, how could you criticize any actor for not having had the exact experience of the character that they represent? I mean, that's not necessary for a compelling performance. It's called acting. Right. That's usually what people say to people who go on methody. And, and whatever works for them, right? Methody is fine when it works. If you're Jared Leto and you go on methody and you start sending your coworkers dead rats, you know, when you're playing the Joker, and it doesn't translate on film, then they're like, well, what are you doing, right? <laughs> but if it works with, in the case with Daniel Day-Lewis, then it works. And sure, whatever you need to do, it may be a bit silly, but I'm not an actor. And if, if my actor, if I were directing, let's say, and my actor insisted on being called by the name of the character, dude, you do you. I'll just, right, just don't drop the ball when the camera's rolling. Right. So I have no problem with that. So you have no problem with Cynthia Erivo being British because you feel Cynthia Erivo delivered to the extent that she could in the context of this film. Right. I think maybe she over-delivered because the role itself was like a caricature. It was super acty, mm -hmm. and she had to hit all the right monologues and, and look. It, she might as well have been Viola Davis with snot running down her face while she talked about all the horrors that she was determined to overcome. <laughs> oh. She does. She did that particularly. She Viola Davis did that best in Fences. Viola Davis is awesome. She kind of does the crying, snotty thing, yeah. Because she was playing against Denzel Washington, who was basically playing Denzel Washington in a funny hat, right? <laughs> the sort of hammy, fast-talking guy, and she's the, you know, sort of bewildered wife who has to take all of his nonsense. Right. Cynthia Erivo's speech that I think sticks out to me the most is the one where she she's like they're meeting in Canada no they're meeting in New York at some senator's house and she has to kind of rally the team to like not give up on rescuing slaves mm -hmm. in hopes that a civil war will solve the situation the one that generates applause from the room yeah and that that was the most egregious to me because it, it felt acty, and the applause felt um, inappropriate. Egregious is the right word. I was looking for that word. And it wasn't clear, too, like what her she was trying to like rally the troops. wasn't clear exactly what her intention was. And then it and then it became clear in the next scene where she goes back to the Brodus farm and rescues, you know, her mom and her dad. You would think 
after having escaped 100 miles to freedom, the last thing you'd want to do is turn around and go back, right? Your gut reaction is, well, that's a bad idea. You just made it out. You're free. You can probably do more help from the free side enlisting the help of other people who wouldn't be murdered if they returned back to the Brodus farm. Mm -hmm. um, but that is what Harriet Tubman did. Escaped to freedom on her own and then returned and helped dozens of other slaves to escape. And then her knowledge of the terrain and her what was basically military strategy experience in these incursions to, to extract you know, other slaves led her to be a general in the Civil War. All that stuff really happened. And so again, not to discount her legacy and bravery, I just felt like the way that the movie handled, handled it was the wrong way to go about it. You're totally right in that it was an incredible feat and it, it's almost a supernatural feat, which is, I think, what they're trying to get at, the filmmakers are trying to get at with her visions, but I never felt danger. And it wasn't the fact that we know that Harriet Tubman survived to go on to, what was it, 91 years of age? I mean, I didn't know she'd lived that long, but I knew she lived a long time. But I, it, and it, so it wasn't that I knew she survived. I felt like the actors didn't embody the fear consistently. Right? There were moments when they kind of stopped and they're hugging each other and they're chit-chatting and it's like, dude, like the slave trappers are right on your trail. Right, or when they stare up at the stars and don't get, move, get to moving again until the dogs start barking. Exactly. And when they have to jump on the horse and ride away and shoot, it, and shoot at each other. Exactly. And there's, yeah. yes, that and there's like lots of like, I need you to make sure, like promise me, give me your word before I let you go even though there's someone right around the corner. Yeah. That was the boat example. Running through the well-lit forests, yeah, lit in blue at night. Right. And coming upon the church where, he, where the uh, pastor insisted on coming out with a lantern that was not, not nearly as bright as the interior of the church and things. I just feel like across the board it was handled in almost a Disney way, like she was a Disney princess. It's, it bears noting that this movie um, features a black woman getting stomped to death and a slave, a black slaver, or the person, the bounty hunter who was helping Brodus try to find Harriet, yeah. gets shot through the head with uh, a sprinkling of, of N-words in there and still got a PG-13 rating. Hmm. But it was a PG-13 movie, and this movie, maybe of all of them this year, maybe shouldn't have or needed to be a PG-13 rating. Because if we were going to understand her heroism, we really should have understood the horrors of slavery and what compelled her to risk her life uh, not only to save her life and, and obtain her freedom, but also to obtain the freedom of everyone around her. How silly would it have been for her to go back and get her family after knowing that her family is being siphoned off one a, a piece at a time? You would think, you know, finally they come and say, well, now that her nieces or her uh, family is going up for auction, and that will lead Harriet Tubman directly to us, and we will kill her for her transgressions, right? Mm -hmm. You would think the, the Brodus family would have been on top of that a long time ago because she sneaked in and out and pulled like a dozen people, almost her entire family, over the course of 10 years out of that farm. That's just bad housekeeping. On the Brodus family part? Yeah. Like, how could they not have been, been become more vigilant as they started to disappear one by one? Can we talk about the Brodus family a little bit? Sure, the white devils, the blue-eyed white devils, who couldn't have been whiter or more blue-eyed in this movie. Or anemic or kind of scrawny and like, using their horrible powers against the, their slaves. Right, or as, as 
emotionally feeble and just barely holding it together in the face of the, the farm collapse. Yeah. So basically caricature, caricatures. I, I mean, how do, you how do you talk about that? Should, should slavers, should plantation owners be sympathetic characters? I don't see any real answer to that question, like a good answer. Um, any of this, the depictions of slavery that we've seen have always been, you know, it doesn't have to be, they don't have to be sadistic and brutal. It's essentially they own another human being, a person with, with feelings and, and emotions and flaws, and they are inconvenienced by their property acting out of line. It's, it would be like dogs making a movie about, I don't understand why he gets frustrated when I have to poop on the carpet. I had to poop. Like, it's not my fault. That's a terrible comparison <laughs> to slavery. But the point is that, that the people who felt entitled to own slaves were people who got frustrated when their needs weren't met or whatever and did horrible things. But I don't think that they were all set out to torture the people. Some of them had just always grew up with you know, people who were meant to adhere to anything that they wanted, to do whatever they said. And so, yes, I think a caricaturistic depiction of slavers is a little bit unfair, but it conveys in a dramatic sense what the slaves go through without having us, you know, having to watch them be sold uh, unceremoniously and without conscience literally down the river uh, when you're tearing families apart. That was a bit thin. It's just tough. I mean, I feel like a three-dimensional slaving family plantation over a farmer family or whatever could add, could lend additional credibility to the film. You know, they weren't, I don't think that the Brodus family was particularly sadistic, although they get pretty mean at the end. Um, it just may be like a single slice of life, of family life, or what needs they have that aren't being met. I mean, I don't know. You're right. There's no good, you know. I was going to say that you and I don't have a single drop of white blood in our veins, but that might not be true. Mom said that there was like some hint of French in there, like a bookmark of she French blood. She says very proudly. Okay. Well, whatever. Um, but we certainly don't align ourselves or identify with the Broduses, right? Or, or the slaves in can't say that we understand their plight because we're not descendants from slaves. It's all kind of silly. Like present us with a situation and we will align ourselves as we see fit, but it has to be compelling and it has to be told well and kind of fairly as much as, you know, we're, we're skewing this uh, based on our perspective and uh, the, the obvious hero of who this story is. So going back to Harriet Tubman's uh, real life, um, what we have to get to is the scar on her, on her head. And uh, so in real life, and I can't, in real life, she entered a store just as a, an overseer, a slave overseer, was trying to catch a runaway. So he picked up a weight from the store that weighed two pounds and chucked it at the kid. And she stepped out, tried to st step out of the way. And the, the weight, two pounds, thrown across the room by a full-grown man, hit her in the head. For the rest of her life, she suffered from convulsions and these visions. And maybe they were hallucinations. This is contradictory to the story. Yeah, huh? In the movie, where she, where definitely when she had visions and premonitions, they absolutely 100% of the time came true. She stood up and wing. We get a sound effect, and she says, "Take them, go right now." And then the slavers are just around the bend. So trying to figure out what was interpreted dramatically, I have no problem with that. Some of, most of the time, we change the facts as long as we're getting the message across, and nobody takes this as gospel. 
um, it's okay to take some creative licenses, right? The fact is Harriet Tubman had a scar on her head uh, because she suffered an injury that she, which caused her to have uh, some problems, hallucinations, and visions that she attributed to God. Now there's a difference between someone who suffered an injury having spells or fits that may have hampered her ability to save other slaves, and then her being chosen by God through these, this ability to, to foresee trouble coming their way. It was as this, this film depicted her as being basically a messenger, an emissary of God to free the slaves. Well, it seemed like she needed that supernatural ability to do the rescues that she did. I mean, they were pretty, I mean, either that or she was super lucky. And so, as Kelly astutely pointed out, attributing her successes to God and the visions and her being chosen for this role really diminishes the level of heroism that she achieved. If she knew, if God was guiding her in her mission, that takes away from her cunning and her daring to do things that seem unbelievable that actually happened. Not necessarily. I think that, I mean, maybe this is just my Christian or religious background, but it just takes a lot to follow God's will, I guess, if that's what her calling was to do. And if you have faith and that gives you a sense of purpose or resolve, absolutely. But if God protects you because he warns you before the bad guys come around the bend, that's another thing entirely. So it's, but it sounds like ultimately your qualm is that the supernatural nature, the direction, supernatural direction that they took with the character actually diminished the historical figure. Yes, I believe that is the case. I think by making her, enlightening her, by spiritually elevating her, you take away from the actual person. Uh, because this was a stylistic directorial choice mm -hmm. to mythologize or uplift just a person. And when that happens, of course, um, even Cynthia Erivo in interviews has talked about Harriet Tubman being a superhero. And I think that is absolutely the wrong way to portray this. Mm -hmm. It's not, the superheroes are, are not just heroes, but they have superhuman abilities which enable them to do things that other people can't. Harriet Tubman, without God, has all the guts that nobody else has in order to, for her to achieve what she did so that 150 years later we're talking about putting her on the $20 bill, which as a consolation is pretty meager. I think we're, it's funny, we're like, we're in agreement about the film but disagreeing about what it was that made it not great. I what? thought there were a lot of human elements in, about Harriet Tubman or, or Cynthia Erivo's performance about Harriet Tubman in the movie and those were probably meant to counteract this notion that perhaps she was supernatural or superhuman in some way. Like, you know, her response to her husband taking another wife was very human, very yes. raw, very probably misguided. Like, you know, there was a lack of understanding on her part what his experience might have been like. So I thought it was a really kind of adept way to exp expose and explore one of her human flaws. There were um, some moments when she was just doing very simple things like making a bed or making a pie where you felt kind of the sadness and the weight that she carried. I mean, those were very human moments and I felt counteracted perhaps what it was that you were feeling. I agree to all that. And I think a lot of it is attributed to Cynthia Erivo's performance to take the sort of mundane things where she's not, doesn't embody the superhero character, but does give it the human elements. Again, I think her, her acting and her, the expression in her face really helps to sell those things as being as important to her or as meaningful 
uh, to represent the Harriet Tubman character as is her funneling slaves through the Underground Railroad. Um, but what, so what did you feel make this, made this movie boring? Well, I just felt like it could have overall been a more suspenseful film. I had, I had, I, I alluded before that I felt like there was no, there wasn't an imminent danger. Um, I thought that maybe we could have spread the hero heroism around a little bit, like we didn't get to know the different constituent parts of the Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad itself played very little role in the film. The other people who enabled the, that system of houses that uh, slaves would hop to as stops uh, in their journey. Right, yeah. yeah. Instead, we get a lot of Harriet, you know, leading, running through the forest, leading a group of escaping freed slaves. Right. Additionally, her family was of no help to her whatsoever. Uh, she was basically dragging them, it seemed, along. And, right. And, and, and again, I see what you're saying about the weight of uh, her sort of human interactions and with her family, all of which was important, and how those failed to live up to the sort of dramatic stakes mm -hmm. where you think she's seeing her father for the last time mm -hmm. and she says, I love you, Daddy, and he doesn't say anything in response and closes the door and you're like, wow, if that's going to be their last experience together, that's really hard. And then they see each other like four more times. Right. And then one time he, she, he, she sees him because he doesn't see her because he's wearing a silly bandana over his head. Like if you can't, if you're going to say goodbye to all your kids all at once at that point, maybe take the bandana off and learn to lie a little <laughs> bit better. Whatever. I don't have any historical basis for that character. Right. It just seemed like some of the choices of the characters and thus some of the choices of the filmmakers could have been handled a little bit better. Yeah, and there were two other scenes that um, I felt like the danger could have been really ratcheted up. My two scenes that I had real problems with were the bridge scene, where when, he, when she first jumps off the bridge, where she's basically cornered, she's, they've got her kind of hemmed in on both sides. Yeah, the Indiana Jones escape. Yes, exactly. And she, and I mean, they could have very easily just like rushed her and she would have had to make the decision. And I, I think that the decision to draw it out and allow for more interaction between um, Gideon and her was, um, was a mistake because it was, it felt acty, it felt false. It would have been much more exciting, I think, if they had just bum rushed her on the bridge and she made the call to choose freedom or death. What, what do you, yeah, what do you mean? She had the opportunity to say, I'm gonna be free or die, and then jump off the bridge before anybody could grab her. And then she swam away to safety, despite the fact that they had horses and stuff and couldn't chase her down the riverbank. Exactly. And then, fast forward to the end, when the homie who's got blood on his mind leaves the shotgun on the ground to, to stay kneeling, and let her words sink in while she rides off into the sunset? Well, he learned his lesson. Her words penetrated him. Talking about Brodus, right? Yeah. Yeah. He just got his finger blown off by a blunderbuss or whatever it was, a flintlock. And yeah, but she, he, she, he felt the impact of her words. And he learned a lesson, except that there was no Gideon Brodus uh, person ever on record. Oh, God. Really? Yep. Brodus family existed, was real. That character, as far as I know, never existed. He's bad guy, became a good guy later. He did? I don't know. Oh, he, you mean because he didn't shoot her, yeah, like in whatever. the back? So he, had a he had a faux redemptive arc 
where we also couldn't see the slaver be any kind of good. He was just paused in his badness <laughs> when she blew his finger off. I'm frustrated. It was all it was all just like a filmmaking imagination so that she could literally ride off into the sunset. I'm sure she he was uh, an amalgamation of maybe incidents from uh, family members or whatever just coalesced into one person. Sure, which is fair. Yeah, it, it happens all the time. Uh, a lot of complicated stuff to tell. It just this movie frustrated me so much in because it looked terrible from the outset. I, I avoided Harriet. Um, until I couldn't anymore because it just looked bad and I was and, and all I think my concerns were justified but a very important story um, in a way that I don't think anybody failed to recognize was mishandled for such a momentous character and occasion to tell the story for the first time because Casey Lemons didn't make it under the back of Natalie Portman's coat uh, she wasn't recognized uh, by the Academy uh, even for a nomination, and she was also a female filmmaker, maybe the holy grail or lottery of subject matters, and the ability to be the first person to bring it to the screen and to not carry it off in a way that we had hoped. It sounds like not only did those who were clamoring for this film get something less than, but you felt that way too. Yeah. I really wanted the, care, the, the story of Harriet Tubman to be told in a way that I could embrace because we know generally about her exploits and fairly little is known about her actual life. Right. But about a person who in the face of opposition did what I think very few people would do. Right. And, and she's doing it in the blind. She doesn't see it as Cynthia Erivo's character of Harriet sees it as a, a world-defining moment, right? She's not full of her sense of accomplishment. She's doing whatever she feels she needs to do as mandated by her conscience or her faith or whatever the case may be. Extraordinary person, not an extraordinary movie. Rating? Her performance is great. Uh, received a totally rating for me. This movie was just kind of whatever yeah the worst part is when I really really hope that a movie can pull it off or convince me and it just fails to do so and and aside from it being a bad movie and a waste of maybe time or money or whatever just the disappointment that it could have been better which is the basis for all my reviews I just wish that they could have been better or done more effectively because I don't see movies that are deliberately bad People are like, oh, that movie was horrible. You should go, like The Room, it was so bad. Let's go see it. No, I want to spend my time and money on good movies. And I was hoping this would be one. I didn't think it was going to be, and I was right. That's the thing about being a critic, that, critic if that's really what we are. Because I think that what's, what is often lost is, is this idea that we, I mean, I really hope, I really want the movies to be good. I, and I'm rooting for them. And when it when they're not great, when they fall short, then it's just kind of, it's a bummer. And this is one of those movies that makes me that that my rating scale is meant to be what I don't know, plucky is that the right word? My rating scale is meant to be. It's kind of tongue in cheek, right? Right, you know, good or boring, it's a little tongue in cheek, but. It, this is one of those movies that makes me kind of like regret it a little bit because it's like I hate to call a movie about Harriet Tubman boring, but obviously I, 
I tipped my hand pretty early in this review and probably scared off a lot of listeners. I think it's important that we did that because we're qualifying our, our statements, basing it in why it we're fr- not just we're going through the, you know what's good and what's bad and then saying, oh, this movie is boring across the board. Yeah. Um, this movie has real problems which prevent it from being a good movie. And in your rating system, which is kind of funny, is you know the, it qualifies. There's no way around it. Um, not a boring movie, literally, right. but when you're going to dismiss movies as oh, it was good or it was boring, definitely it couldn't qualify as good yeah. uh, as much as I wanted it to. And again, that's the basis for our criticism is just our love of movies and our inability to forgive terrible movies for what they are because of things like subject matter or uh, single pieces like tremendous acting performances yeah. just aren't enough to carry a movie and propel it to where it should be a success where you should spend your hard-earned money or spend your well-earned time uh, you know, committing to it. Which is funny because um, we can't exactly <laughs> recommend to people to see Harriet because if they're listening to this podcast, they've probably seen it. And if you're listening to this podcast, we really are grateful and thank you. We thank you, our, our Patreon patrons. We thank you so much for your support. Uh, I hope that even if our review was um, whatever from Wes and boring from Iris that you still enjoyed hearing and learning more about the movie Harriet. Um, If you have any comments, you want to give us some feedback, feel free to leave us a voicemail, 818-835-0473, or send us an email, or whatevermovies at gmail.com. I feel like I cut you off. Was Was there one last thing you wanted to say? Nope. Live free or die. See you next time. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.